welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Violet Luca, digital editor. In this episode, we go to our annual Cannes Roundtable. Between screenings on Tuesday evening, editor Nicholas Rapold spoke with Justin Chang of the Los Angeles Times and Nicholas Elliott, New York correspondent for Calle du Cinema. Later in their conversation, the trio was joined by Film Comet contributing editors Jonathan Romney and Amy Taubin. In addition to themes of the festival's programming, the films they cover include Marin Ade's Tony Erdman, Andrea Arnold's American Honey, Olivier Asias's Personal Shopper, Bruno Dumont's Slack Bay, and Christy Puyu's Sierra Nevada. Please excuse the quality of the recording, and next week we'll have a follow-up conversation from Cannes. Welcome to the round table, the Cannes round table for film comments. It's a Cannes, what is it, the 69th edition, I guess? It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2016. Uh, and we will have people joining us, but we're starting out with an all star lineup already. Uh, with, uh, I guess it might be good if each of you identify yourselves so people can recognize your voices. Um, Justin Chang for the LA Times. I'm Nicholas Elliott. I'm the New York correspondent for Cahiers du Cinema. Uh, and I'm uh, Nicholas Rapold, the editor of Film Comment, and uh, we're, we can just sort of dive right into it, I guess, with the uh, general question of, you know, how is it this year? <laughs> I think it's been pretty good. I sometimes feel kind of a little like milk toast sometimes because I think <laughs> I've been on the I'm on the the screen grid, the screen critics poll grid, and. You know, where you rate things from a scale from one to four or whatever. And I'm just being three stars, three stars, three stars, almost across the board. It's like, I like that. And some people are, you know, as always in Cannes, taking up arms against something or, you know, declaring something a masterpiece. And I'm kind of, kind of in the middle on most. Well, I do think there's been some really great yeah. stuff. I mean, I'm a real fan of Tony Erdman. Tony Erdman, yeah. We all. Big, I think we all. Um, Patterson, completely surprised and charmed him too. I think those are probably my two favorites, two favorites huh. in the competition so far. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the interesting is different. <laughs> um, no, it's it's not that. It's it's very interesting compared to last year, where I found the competition so poor last year, nearly outrageous. Right. And this year, all the treasures are in competition, and I'm uh. I'm my disappointment stems from the fact that I'm taking a lot of gambles on films that I don't know the directors of or know very little about in parallel sections and so far I've really come up empty-handed um, I haven't found anything to wow the people back home about you know yeah. like I discovered this or um, but in competition it, it's very exciting to have a film like Tony Erdman you know Marian Ade was on some of our radars for her previous film everyone else which is also great and I, I think was at the New York Film Festival it right was, yeah. yeah that's where I saw it so that was a great film so I was very excited to see her in competition. And I haven't been to Cannes that many times, but it was so great to see a film that great with an audience full of people just so with the film, you know, yeah. applauding during the film and just yeah. electric. And now the yeah. whole festival is really excited about a major film. You know, and there's a moment in the film which we won't give away. I mean, there's, that's, there's many moments, but there's one moment yeah. in particular. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The applause. And I think there's sometimes every can. You know, or every other can, there is a moment like that, just really where the audience, the applause is mid-film and it's spontaneous. I remember that, like, Holy Motors achieved yeah. that. The, the Please Mr. Kennedy number in Inside Lewin Davis was just one of my one of my favorite memories. Just everyone was just, just like, 
the pleasure of it was just so you just couldn't not respond so yeah. spontaneous. It's like which the, is the Godard 3D shift. The, the, the Godard like, 3D shift yeah. in another way, you know, and that's you know yeah. the, probably the most out there kind of thing. Not yeah. a, and it's just kind of great. You know, we we come to Cannes, I think, sometimes with this very kind of pure, maybe even somewhat rarefied notion of like I'm looking for art, I'm looking for something transcendent, and I you know, and who doesn't love transcendence? But there's also something to be said for just. Just something that just I don't know. I, I, I felt that with Tony Erdmann. I think that's interesting too. The debate that it's been that film and also a film I don't like as much, but which I still would stick up for, which is Andrea Arnold's American Honey, mm-hmm. are both 162 minutes long. And yeah. It's created this question. Both those movies, people who like them, people who dislike them, have been kind of saying, "Oh, but it's way too long," you know. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of opened up an interesting question to me. It's like, well, and I actually wrote something that's like, "How long is too long?" And I think it's all relative, right? I mean, a movie can be almost three hours, and I wouldn't say Tony Erdman flies by, but I think every moment in that movie counts towards something. Yeah. You know? I mean... Well, um, well it has such a, a deliberate, <coughs> fascinating building structure and effect that the the length of it, which I felt at times, I was sure. like... But it, it delivers so strongly that... Yeah. It earns that length. You know, there's again, we it would be very unfair to people listening to this to reveal some of the incredible scenes that come in the final third of the film, but the payoff is so powerful that I, I don't question anything about it. I feel much less enthusiastic about American Honey, sure, yeah. and that's a case where I think the length is a problem because it's a project that is seems worthwhile. You feel the director's enthusiasm and even her love for what she's doing. You know, her interest in filming these people, her love of the music, but it, it's such a repetitive film. I mean, how many times do we need to watch these interesting young people rap along to southern hip-hop? Like, it's it's fun, like, I like it, but yeah. I, I think she really weakens her, her project by just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. It's a film that has three or four endings. So I, I don't think you can make a, a rule about how long is too long. I was very happy to watch 13 Hours of Out 1 in the fall. <laughs> or Out uh. Yeah. It's not always earned. Yeah, I, mean, I guess American Honey has been, I don't know, a, more of a divisive Very film. divisive. Yeah, yeah. and... And, and there, the, the end argument for the length is that it's a road movie, so you're kind of in the rhythm of it, uh, and the repetition is part of the repetition of the sure. work, which is kind of leavened with the youthful sense of play they have and, and the unpredictability um, of, of the, the kind of adventure quality of it. I, yeah, I'm still a bit torn on that one, how it falls. But, but Justin, you, you were kind I of... I am too, no, and I, I think sometimes that... And I, I sometimes make that argument, which is... And it, maybe it's a cop-out argument saying, oh, the form reflects the content, right. or the length reflects... The tedium of the movie is equivalent to the tedium of the journey. And mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I, I would make that case with this one, but I also do agree that it's, you know... <clears throat> I think with Tony Erdmann, there's a real build to it. There's a real modulation to it. American Honey is a bit more just kind of messy, you know. But overall, I think, you know, what you said, like, Andrea Arnold's, her kind of passion, the, the way, the, just the cinematography, the passion you feel just in those images, the shot by the great Robbie Ryan, it carried me through. I mean, I, I'm not dying to sit through it again right this second, <laughs> but it, it helped me. It yeah. helped me. I guess they're also notable, I mean, not to immediately, I'm not trying to enter this debate or raise the debate again, but they're both movies that center on the kind of growth <coughs> of a female protagonist. Yes. Um, I'm sure this is something we'll get in later. And I, I eventually found that I was seeing movie after movie that was kind of about right. that, between this 
personal shopper in, personal in its shopper. own way. Aquarius. Aquarius. Just, yeah. yeah. Awesome. yeah. Different phases. It's like the five ages of, 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 of woman or something. Not, not literally, but just that sense of having five ages yeah. in one's life so you get covered there. Um, but I don't want to reduce them like that. Sure. I, I would also question how much growth there really is in American Honey. I mean, not to belabor this question of repetition, and I understand that the film ends with a rebirth of sorts. With, there's some imagery at the end, which I find a little hackneyed. Mm. But, you know, this character of Skye, who's the central character, and in my eyes pretty much the only one with a little bit of Shia LaBeouf's character that is really kind of three-dimensional and really gets explored. The others are just like really cool and interesting extras that you like to look at, but who are they? No idea. She, I don't know how much she changes over the course of it. I mean, she's basically this really decent person, and she goes on to do some really decent things. And I like that. It's a nice character, but be where I'm going with this, with comparing also Tony Erdman and American Honey, is that a lot of films here I've had a hard time with since I've seen Tony Erdman, because Tony Erdman is a film that is really made for adults. I mean, it is a film, you know, I, I feel like I'm being talked to with a lot of respect, because it, it really catches the complexity of human beings. And so other films that perhaps would be okay, or, you know, Personal Shopper, for instance, which I don't care for. I'm really seeing the, the tacky movie stuff. And, and, and then, like, when you're getting into the parallel sections and films that are really inferior, Tony Erdman is hurting the rest of the films. That's how great it is in my... <laughs> right. It blocks or out even, the sun. <laughs> even something like... I think Jeff Nichols' Loving is a perfectly fine movie. I didn't love it, didn't hate it. I liked it for the most part, but... It's not that the movie's talking down to you, but you're talking about, I think, maybe the level of sophistication is just kind of, is kind of different. I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's still that movie is sort of, in a way, trying to, it's like, you know, interracial marriage is okay. I mean, it's more complex than that, but it's kind of putting forth a comparatively rudimentary sort of idea. Yeah, it's not, it's not the most just controversial. Just as an example. <laughs> no, no, or the most, you know, I mean, and it's, it's, it's set, it's a period piece, it's set, you know, yeah. so there's a distance there, yeah. whereas Tony Erdman is just this kind of amazing immediacy and just this, this you just feel like you're exploring the contours of this and relationship. And a constant um, sense of risk yeah. is what I yes, felt in Tony absolutely. Erdman. And, and something at stake. Absolutely. I mean, every moment. I, yeah. I didn't feel, I felt the most tense and, and released in that movie than yeah. any other movie. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing about comparing Tony Erdman and Loving is that Tony Erdman, you absolutely never know where you're going, which is, you know, <laughs> right. the risk Wonderful. that yeah. Nick is talking about. I mean, you have no idea. And things happen in this movie, like, <laughs> this is why we were euphoric in, in the screenings, because, yeah. Yeah. wow, it does not happen much. Yeah. Whereas Loving, of course, you know from the beginning where you're going, but I think the movie is very strong because of all the traps that it avoids. I mean, think very of true. all the things very that true. Jeff Nichols kindly spares us. We do not have to sit through the Supreme Court case. We do not have to watch this couple have their relationships strained because of their public exposure, and then they come back together in a triumphant moment of love conquering all. We do not have to watch them having sex. It's not... I mean, I don't have any problem with that, but there's yeah. so many tried and true things of that genre that he yeah. dodges, and he makes this very sober, classical, in my eyes, very beautiful film. It's sort of like the movie that is, perhaps you could say it's the most ordinary in terms of content, in terms of thrust, yes. but it also reveals kind of the extraordinary virtues of the person who directed Absolutely. it, even within those. And who wrote more it, same person. Precisely. Yeah. Uh, his right. screenplay, I think, is very strong because he avoids these traps, yeah. you know, and, and how many people have we seen of late 
who in the space of one year will lay claim to making blockbuster movies like Midnight Special and making Oscar bait really good movies, in my opinion, like Loving. I mean, it's it's exciting because Jeff Nichols, you know, a lot of us critics have placed a lot of hope in him. I wasn't that excited about Midnight Special. And here he's coming back with something that really makes me look forward to what the next move is. Yeah. And he's in a position to probably make a really interesting next move if he so desires. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Loving was also interesting to me just for the tone. I think there's a way that some of the some of the interaction between the couple could have a kind of deadpan quality, like a Coen Brothers quality, because they're both kind of laconic, mm-hmm. or they can be laconic, and they have a definite routine going. And there's a way that could have been, you know, leaned on as too much of a laugh line or something. Mm-hmm. And you managed to avoid that, which is another sort of pitfall. You were just talking about Jeff Nichols having this range, mm-hmm. and a movie that comes to mind for that, well, a couple. One would be Olivia Assayas, obviously, with mm-hmm. Person Shopper, but also Neruda. I didn't see that one. Didn't see that one. But please discuss. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very curious to hear. So, Justin, you've Absolutely. seen it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I'm, I'm of the mind, you know, how many good movies does Pablo Lorraine, a world class filmmaker, have to make in order to get into the competition, which I, you know, agree is quite strong this year, very competitive. It's 20, there's 21 films, which is more than usual. But even still, it just is becoming odd. I mean, this is the second film he's had in Director's Fortnite, the first one being No, four years ago, and this one also, like No, although it's a very different film. Stars Gael Garcia Bernal, um, and I just think it's pretty wonderful. I mean, and it's funny. Pablo Lorraine never is also one of those directors who never seems to repeat himself. Even when he was, you know, when he was kind of dissecting the, the Pinochet regime, it's like every film had it came at it from a different angle. And this one is just kind of a it was a pretty wildly creative take on Pablo Neruda's life, and you know, as you would generally hope for from a biopic, it's not really a biopic at all, it's centering on a very specific time frame, it's unlike so many great artist biopics, I think it's very much invested in the art and what the art means, it actually kind of, you know, it doesn't necessarily give you a sense of how he wrote or how he, you know, came by, you know, how can anyone explain that, but it was, I think, just passionately invested in the ideas and it's very playful, the character Gael Garcia Bernal plays doesn't even exist in real life, or didn't, and so there's a lot of really meta kind of things going on in it that I just found endlessly stimulating. It's gorgeous, It's and it's nice. I remember No surprising me a lot, because I had always, I had kind of pigeonholed Lorraine, Lorraine as this, oh, he is just this, he makes these incredibly cold, really great, but really bleak sort of things, and, and that one was a really rousing kind of, and this one is, you know, it's, uh, I was kind of delighted by it, Yeah. I say. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you thought of it. I did not finish the film, not mm-hmm. because of quality reasons, but sure. uh, I had to, I had to, I think maybe even to see the Tony Erdman screen see that so I don't want to get that uh, but I mean I'm just interested I'm fast forwarding <coughs> to the time when this comes out in theaters and yeah. someone sees it and says oh I'm going to go look up what else he's made Absolutely. <laughs> and then they see you know Tony Manera or Postmortem well yeah Postmortem is pretty hardcore art really and those are also the kind of movies you might associate more with Cam you know I mean, that's also what I like about Tony Ehrman is it's a movie that's made a big splash but without being one of these like you know ma- I mean absolutely sort of Estab- formally yeah. masochistic formally masochistic <laughs> established auteur you know, I mean I mean I think we all know and we're excited about Marinade and her next work but she was still when her name was announced it's like people were not expecting no, her. That it was, was a surprise very, even it to was us, a real surprise yeah. and a delightful one I and mean, it was like immediately you know kind of coming to can seem more enticing. And I would say too, you know, I mean, I think what's exciting also about the competition, even even though we still have some, to see some of their films, is the number of fresh faces that have appeared um, 
I'm going to butcher the name Kleber and Filho. Okay, you know, the, this film we just saw this morning. Uh, Christy Puyu is a newcomer to competition. I mean, even though we, he is such an established figure in world cinema and Romanian cinema. And so is Alain Giraudy. Alain Giraudy. Who has a really, I think we can call it edgy film in competition that yeah. I liked a lot. And, I did and too. another one that maybe yes, yeah. wasn't, I don't know, didn't feel like it was so well received on, in general. Or maybe I'm hanging out with the wrong people. <laughs> I know, it, it sounds like it's right. mixed. It's even yeah, people, even French people who really like Giraudy a lot. Some of them are just kind of like, yeah, it's good, but there's not like that. I think L'Inconnu du Lac, Stranger by the Lake, his previous film, was kind of universally adored, um, except perhaps by raging homophobes who would have a hard time with that film. (laughs) They won't like this one either. No, they sure won't. I don't think they'll ever like another Yehudi film, and that's a really good thing. That's a good Um, thing. (laughs) But anyways, yeah, this film is, it's a harder proposition. Yeah, I guess I was surprised when people, I don't know, weren't responding so well to it. I don't think it's like a left field thing for him necessarily. It's sort of a, it seems to me that he kind of is blending a couple of things in his mm. most recent films in a way. Um, I mean, for me, it was kind of a mix of what's it called, King of what's yeah, it? King, King of Escape, King of, the English King title. Of Escape, yeah. yeah, King of Escape and Stranger by the Lake in a, in a way. So I, I was a little puzzled. Maybe I'm a Pollyanna, but I didn't really understand. Well, I think part of what might be off-putting to people is that very thing, mixing. You know, Stranger of the Lake, among other things, is is a very pure, formal, thematic, narrative proposition. I mean, it's one thing, one place, basically four guys. And this is a a hodgepodge. Mm -hmm. Part of what I like about it, and in that way it's similar to Tony Erdmann, is that you have no idea where you're going. And he's another one who pulls off these things that we're not going to spoil for p- people listening, but yeah. there are scenes in the last third of this film. I mean, I think I actually uttered the word "wow" out loud. Which <laughs> oh, I, yeah. You know, I'm not a big talker during screenings, but <laughs> things happen that are worked towards. You know, he's not throwing like Deus Ex right. Machina, or, yeah, no. and I love that. That's I, what I go to the movies for. Yeah. The movie's hilarious too. I mean, yes. along the way, you know, it's and I was just very pleased to kind of follow it down every rabbit hole it went down. It's a film, too, that I think some people don't, maybe this didn't occur to them, but really I think adheres to a sort of very kind of rigorous dream logic, especially in the final, you know, without making a big deal and coming out like saying this is all a dream, nothing so kind of hackneyed as that, but the way the characters kind of are recycled and keep reappearing in this very kind of real but not real way was just, you know, you you kind of giggle at that. It's it's funny. I was just uh, very taken with it. I was a little surprised. I mean, no, actually I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I think some people just kind of reject out of hand. There is, and there is the moment, the yes, which we won't give away, which is just, you know, <laughs> kind of a, you, you go with it or you don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so. it, it should be pointed out, since you mentioned dream logic, not to discourage anyone, because I would be discouraged. If sure. There is never a shot of anyone waking up no. in their bed. No, That's no, what's no, no, so no, no, beautiful no. about That's it, is right. you just slowly pure, come to realize, yeah. like, oh, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. And, and there's... That's which, is very, which is very cinematic. Movies that just kind of behave in that kind of way without being surrealism. You know, it's just yeah. kind of it's just kind of a natural yeah. kind of enveloping kind of thing about the film. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, for some reason I was thinking of it like a road movie that stays in one place as well, <laughs> kind of road movie of the mind or something. Yeah, like that. Oh, so. well, there's yeah. geographic repetition. Geographic, like, yeah, same yeah. shots, same road, yeah. same. It's very. 
very interesting. And is it, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. I think you mentioned French critics at the beginning. I mean, like, there's always this divide we're not really aware of, just unless you're reading yeah, a French exactly critic, yeah, of, of this kind of other conversation going. I don't know if you can be a correspondent for us. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to give you a very satisfying answer. I haven't talked to too many French colleagues who are outside of Caillou Cinema about okay. that movie specifically. Or more generally, if there's a different, you know... I think the main divide is between, I think, what Americans think of Olivier Assayas and what oh, yeah. some French critics, especially the French critics that I'm affiliated with, think mm -hmm. of Olivier Assayas. And I'm very curious to hear what you guys thought of Personal Shopper yeah. before I unleash my wrath. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should unleash first. Yeah. No, yeah. It, yeah. Justin? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm prepared to be kind of eviscerated on that. But no, I, I no, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I liked it. I didn't know entirely what to make of it. Personal Shopper, I think, got the first booze of the festival or the competition that I've heard. Yeah. Although since, it's a, since it's a ghost story, perhaps those were ghosts. Exactly. Very good That's point. Booze are not a bad thing. The booze are, you know, the audience <laughs> does the booing. And my friend, as we were walking out on the steps, said, it's got Cartier and ghosts. What more do you need? Or something. Yeah, it's like, and I was kind of like, yeah, this is good. I, I can't make any huge... I think Kristen Stewart is tremendous in it. It's a performance that in the movie... As you know, as good as she was in Clouds of Sils Maria, she was fantastic in that. And this, I think, really, um, you know, leans on her a hundred percent. I should say too, it's, I liked the previous one, Clouds of Sils Maria, but I wasn't, you know, so taken with it. And I go kind of up and down with Asias myself. Right. This movie, I think, is, you know, I guess you could classify it among kind of the the WTF Asias movies, like like Demon Lover, yeah, Boarding, Boarding Gate, you know. Right. And yeah. I, and of that of that group, I I was just you know I, I like this idea. I like that he kind of takes the plunge into genre, into kind of a, a horror movie, a haunted house movie. The way the ghosts and what that says about you know, it's like it's almost like he's drawing some kind of connection between that and the technology and the fact that she never even talks or sees her boss face to face. It's like we're all kind of, there's this disembodied quality to kind of how we engage with each other now in the 21st century. You know, I mean, that's like, it's, if it doesn't, you know, if the movie doesn't work for you though, just on a primal level, it did for me. Right. I was pretty spooked out. I loved the I loved the use of technology in terms of the, um, the texting. Uh, right. you know, and you see that in a lot of American movies, studio movies. Yeah. But you don't um, often see it done as well. That was one moment where I, I, I was kind of getting disengage from the movie a little when I'm just seeing it, uh, you know, hmm. texting. And that, that for me was kind of a big gamble because it's a personal pet peeve for me along with a lot of yeah. people is the Google moment in a movie. Mm. But also the texting moment. And with, the Skype moment. And the Skype perhaps. moment. I mean, I know it's yeah. how we live today, yeah. but we also spend... I don't... There's a, there's a careful balance that has to be achieved. It's like, yes, I want movies to reflect the world that I live in, but on the other hand, I'm sitting in a movie theater where I'm having to ask people to turn their iPhones off. You know, it's just, we're so, so you flooded with the it. IPhone on the screen. So right? to spend 20 minutes, or however long it is, and, and I also feel like, <laughs> did someone just give him an iPhone for Christmas or something? Like, it's, there's this thing, like, look at this new gadget that we all just have, like, yeah, I don't know. I love. I, I love totally differently. I love the way. Tell us. Yes, I, I do too. Yeah. I mean, one, I thought to sustain a scene like that and have it build tension just exactly. on the rhythm mm. that the texts were coming in right. was amazing. Yeah, I agree. I kept thinking too, just how the, the staging of that even, and just the three little dots waiting, oh, yeah. becoming this kind of oh, yeah. source of that tension as yeah. well, you know. Absolutely. But um, no, I, I I loved that part. Yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was the best thing in the film. I think it is an intentionally 
unresolved. It's a very oblique film. It's very bravura filmmaking, and maybe that obscures or the subject matter seems too slight to a lot of people for that kind of bravura filmmaking. But yeah, I thought just touching on how you make a really scary movie, just touching on how you make a psychodrama of someone who may not be a reliable narrator, right. I thought those things were great. I can't quite put my finger on why, but for some reason, right from the beginning, and actually I do know why, partly because it starts off in an old house, but it really made me think this was his Jacques Rivette film, and it feels like a Rivette film, but it has the same use of dead time and the same use of people exploring the past in a way that you don't quite, you know, that you have to catch up with. But I was really mystified by his use of CGI, and I couldn't quite figure out why he was doing it in such an overt way. And knowing Asayas, he will have a very articulate theory he always of does. why he's doing it. But it still puzzles me, because I was wondering all the way through. You know, well, supposing he hadn't given us those ghosts and, and you know the shimmering ectoplasm suppose he'd left it all to our imagination yeah. you know, I mean, what would the film have been then and I think it might have been I think, more it's, I think it's a genre film I mean I think it's a serious genre film and the thing that amazed me and I could be totally wrong about this the first time I saw it the second time I wasn't quite so sure I think the sound once she goes into the house the first time that's all constructed that shot was not shot to sync. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the extra loud footsteps and every precise move makes a sound. And it was composed like a score. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, they've really had a good time working on the sound for this film. This is not a piece of realism. Yeah. This is a piece of filmmaking construction. Yeah, I mean it's interesting actually that the sound all the way through the film is so expressive and it contrasts so beautifully with Kristen Stewart, who's actually yeah. in a strange way. Although she, you know, she kind of absolutely radiates presence, her actual acting style is very sort of detached and inexpressive. Yeah. And she's a medium. I mean, yeah. as an actor, yeah. Yeah. she is a medium. Yeah. It's also interesting to me that she has these, you know, two movies, Sils Marie and this movie, where she's consciously playing a very marginal occupation or role that's that's on the periphery. It's kind of, of an interesting of a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to. It's you know obviously to say about her, but still, it is kind of an interesting that it's great watching a director work again with an with an actor, um, and in this case, someone who's on the screen like almost the whole movie, uh, which is you know, impressive accomplishment. And he's brilliant at using actors and letting their kind of baggage, you know, uh, right. their, their kind of history radiate on the screen, you know, like. In, demon lover, I mean everyone has their own kind of past as an actor and he doesn't try and erase that, everyone comes with their own kind of filmography, yeah. as it were, and expectations. And you know, and putting that tacky uh, Victor Hugo in New Jersey or whatever movie yeah. in, is purposeful because he is making one of those, yeah. but he's yeah. making one of those with, you know, great brilliance yeah. and all the modern possibilities. And there was a little ripple of laughter because it's um, sort of Pop, yeah. Yeah. pop star. Uh, okay. Yeah. Who was in the Sophie de Tourneur movie, a, a recent, the last, uh, which, I forget what it's called, but the last, he's acted a little bit, but he's uh, a major, major French he, pop he star. He made an album with Kara uh, Mastroianni. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to circle back to American Honey, because that's been a film that 
sort of has had divided reception, I think, and we've kind of, I don't know, explored, explored that it. a little, picked over it a little. But. I didn't see it. Oh, you just I'm the it. only woman at the table, <laughs> and I didn't see it. Now, was that a, a, a conscious no, choice? No, I or, couldn't oh. do it. Jonathan, okay. yeah. I, I felt very favourable towards it, although I can't say it really excited me, but I like the idea that Andrea Arnold sort of went out on this road trip and, you know, the idea, it, it's an event rather than a film, and it's an experimental road trip, and I think she didn't know what she was going to find or what, you know, what the, the company on the trip was going to be like. What I liked about it is the idea of a kind of a road movie that's actually intensely claustrophobic because so much of it takes place in that van and for me it felt very much like a lament for you know kind of late 60s 70s you know i mean it really is sort of saying you know the power of american counterculture is dead and looking back nostalgically but sort of suggesting that the kind of fetishism of youth has been sort of so abused it's just now a mask for you know the profit motive right you know, that was the interesting thing about it, but uh, it's very much of a piece with, with her British films, but right. um, I, I really somehow wanted it to be reined in, you know, I wanted there to be a more coherent narrative, and I don't always say this about films, far from it, but I really wanted there to be a more coherent narrative that was kind of carved out of it, and I also thought Riley Keough was so good that so good. I was desperate to know more about that character and what her relationship was with Charlotte and why, you know, where her power came from. So we didn't get near that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you just said about it being more of an event than a film, because by the end of it, I felt this is this seems more journalistic than anything else. If the main, sorry, <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen it yet. It's fine. I know. I know. Just, I just cover your ears. Say anything. <laughs> no, no. No. But it felt journalistic. I mean, if, you know, for me, if the main character whose name I'm blanking on right now, star. star, star, how can I forget star? Okay, the star, who is the star of the film, if she like develops in some way, it's or, or has some growth as a character, it's that she, be, it's almost like she becomes a journalist for me because she she like throws herself into situations not knowing where they'll lead, yeah. and it's not because you know the sales thing is that interesting for her. It's more she just wants to see what she's going to discover. Um, so it's mm. somehow in that way, yeah. that com combined with the palpable sense yeah. of Andrea Arnold discovering yeah. stuff on her own road yeah. trip made it feel yeah like a weirdly like a road documentary. And, and, and it's a film with great sequences, you know, the sequence yeah. where she goes out to the oil well at night yeah. Yeah, filled with good. the guy who pays her a thousand dollars. I mean, it's magnificent. It's a really yeah. incredible piece of atmosphere. Some people sort of, who is this British filmmaker coming over to our country and, you know, our country being America, you know, and, and kind of telling us how it really is. And I, and I guess, I think you could level that argument at, a certain, at certain scenes, but overall I felt that her view and her approach was such an open one. You know, like she just seemed kind of alive to anything that happened. So I don't know. I think that made up for. I never felt like it was a, a lecture or anything. I yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what What are standouts whose title is not Tony Erdman? <laughs> um, well, I really love Patterson, which I felt did okay. something that. John, which hadn't quite done before, and did it in a different way. And it's all about the rhythm of the film. But well, actually, I realised that this and Only Love is Left Alive, I realised that he's kind of defining a genre because that film is all about his obsession with certain kind of music and certain kind of guitars. And this film is about you know, the poetry he loves. So it's basically he's making the stuff I'm into, yeah. um, which you know I think more people yeah. should make in a way. But I, I just found it really. Um, 
mesmerizing because he, it's more, especially the fact that the music is by his his own duo and um, squirrel. Field squirrel, yeah, and it's very kind of handmade, and it's it, it is actually his, his films are getting more and more like music in a way. Yeah, that's the move. Actually, it's very, very close in the kinds of ways that objects will come into focus. It's William Carlos Williams. I mean, it's this fantastic translation of the rhythm of that writing, which seems like not no rhythm at all till you look at it really seriously. I just, as a someone who kind of loves wordplay, especially, I don't know. I just was kind of enchanted by the way the film's equivalent of rhyming schemes by, you know, yes. da, da, you know, the, every time, you know, more twins would pop up, I'd yeah. go, you know, <laughs> giggle. I'd never seen, I think, a movie that kind of made my brain work in quite that yeah. way in terms of picking up on those rhythms, on the, the internal kind of logic of the images and everything. I think at the screening I was at, a lot of people didn't get it. And it's like he built it into it when the Japanese poet says that his poets, poems aren't translated because it's like wearing a raincoat, whatever. And I suddenly thought, Jim knows that this film will not travel in the same way his other films have because they're about a specifically American form of poetry. I don't think there is anything in France or maybe not even in Britain that's like the New York School or like uh, William Carlos Williams. But so it's I thought that was kind of amazing. Yeah, it's a wonderful manifesto for the power of the written word, which cinema tends to uh, neglect somewhat. But also, you know, the idea of finding those kind of little corners of experience, which are usually rejected, you know, which is what that form of poetry does. And, and it actually finds a kind of visual form for that, which is... We talk so much about unusual. the structure of the movie, but I mean, I think Adam Driver is such a huge part of it too. You know, really, it's just... Um, and he's someone who I think usually brings this really strong, sometimes abrasive comic personality to his movies, and here it's like it's so, all that's drained away, and he really holds the screen really powerfully. So I mean, what's funny this so year she. is, uh, yeah, so she 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 go to but, but what's funny actually is it, it's a great year for minimalist acting, because him and Kristen Stewart, and the two leads in Loving, which I don't think is a great film, but the thing that's really interesting about it is the way that they almost kind of fold into the background, you know, that it could have really sort of pushed them center stage and given them, you know, given each other a big speech or whatever. But the way that in particular Joel Edgerton practically yeah. just sort of disappears mm. on screen, I mean, that's a really kind of bold gesture. Absolutely. Yeah. He's just got that frown, perpetual, like the lawyer kind of says something and he's like, it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I, listeners can't see me, but I'm, you know, sort of making a sour expression but even, even uh, his arms are reserved they just kind of hang there you know? <laughs> let's see i mean we kind of did a little general commentary about the makeup of the competition etc and that usual kind of know if you have any thoughts on in that regard um actually well let me, let me dig out my document did you, did you have a kind of look for general kind of thematic you know, to talk about themes yeah not yeah more just okay you know, Brisk thumbs up. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah. I mean, one observation, I guess, was about that certain regard, that kind of frustration with plunging into that this year, you know. I mean, 
without, without having a, a pizza pong movie for one thing. <laughs> but I mean, also like last year, the other side, the Minervini movie was a really interesting thing for me to watch, and a movie I thought about a lot during uh, American Honey, for one thing. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I'm still starting there. <coughs> You know, I'll start to regard, but I, I haven't really had something like that. But yeah, so I've seen five or six, and there haven't been any discoveries, really, yeah. even any movies that I particularly enjoyed at this point. And there is um, a good sort of popular discovery in um, Critics Week called Raw. Raw, yeah, yeah I've heard about Colmo, that. Which is a lot, which is, you know, it, it lives up to its title, and it's kind of fun, and it's sort of abrasive and confrontational, and sort of very fresh, yeah. and, you know, a kind of feminist vegetarian cannibal <laughs> youth, uh, one of those yeah, one yeah. of the vegetarianism yeah. is very big this year yeah. with the FG as well <laughs> yeah well it's interesting that Critics Week is kind of serving the purpose of Directors Fortnight last year in terms of being the alternative that you can kind of I don't know I feel like I've seen three or four movies there that are, are pretty good, uh, but not necessarily by I don't know, major directors, for lack of a better word. I think Dogs in Critics Week. Dogs? Oh, yeah, I forgot about Dogs. Yeah. Really strong. Yeah. Really? Oh, I don't oh, like it at all. You know, in regard to the Romanian? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Really, really fantastic first film. It's making goes and um I thought the tagline <laughs> should be Romania no country for old men <laughs> I thought of no country for old men too especially I mean with those scenes of the truck yeah. in, the, in the light and it does have the most spectacular act of violence that you know oh, you just think with the this hand, isn't the, possibly yeah. going to happen because that guy could possibly do that at that moment why well, would that he person have is to doing be that mad? thing yes. and you realize <laughs> yes he is really mad and he's going to do it it was yeah. quite something yeah and the violence in that movie also so he doesn't really allow you to turn away from either. Well, in the movie, it's such a, you know, no surprise being or but the, the slow build of it to that, uh, it's not a payoff exactly, but it's, uh, it really is, catches you guys surprise. Another movie made me think of No Country for Old Men, which was Hell or High Water, oh, the David oh, McKenzie. I'm going to see it on yeah. the repeat. Which, you know, I, I, I think David McKenzie is a bit, sort of on a roll, I don't know, and it's a really, just a very well-written, tightly written Modern day Western with uh, Jeff Bridges, probably the best he's been since uh, True Grit. You know, it was, it's not a movie you necessarily need to see here in Cannes, but it was kind of nice. It was just what I needed yeah. <laughs> at that point in the day. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I have to catch up with that one. Talking about themes, as far as themes and competition, I would say that one that I'm aware of is more formal than thematic, which is a, a great freedom in where stories are going and what screenplays are like. I mean, Tony Erdman, Malut, a.k.a. Um, Slack Bay. Slack Bay. Um, many films. Sierra Nevada, in a way. Yes, Sierra Nevada, to sure. a certain degree. And what else were we talking about at the beginning? I'm oh, yeah. drawing a blank. <coughs> oh, of course, the Guillaudit, Laissez Vertical, which I'm assuming they're calling Stay Vertical. Stay I mean, vertical. these are films that are really escaping the rules of screenwriting, and I find that very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And American Honey just goes well. True, though, I'm not as enthusiastic as well. about American Honey. Yeah. It's more of a, and the Jarmusch, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. 
I will have to leave. Oh, okay. I'm going to try to catch up. Catch up. Mendoza, okay. But I do want to know if you guys, not to hijack things, but you guys having just come from Aquarius. Oh, Aquarius. Right? Yeah. 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 I'd love to hear because I saw it earlier this morning. But yeah. Well, I liked it. Yeah, um, I mean, in part, I liked it for her performance, which was amazing. It's on your brother. It's the exact opposite of what you're talking. It is a solidly built three-act movie that in certain ways could have been a television movie. Except with a great visual flair. Yeah. With kind of limited material. I was surprised almost after seeing Neighboring Sounds how this was so much of a piece with that and yet a more character-driven, much more somewhat conventionally accessible movie. But really, no, I liked it very much. I think if there's a theme I picked up on, I mean, there's a kind of a particular slant this year on you know, what you could call old-fashioned humanism, but particularly, let's say, in the Loach, mm. this Which I film, yes. um, Aquarius and Tony Edmund, mm. yes. there's a kind of battle going on for the human soul against corporate culture, and in particular, you know, the Loach in the, the yeah. British political context the use of managerial structures and in particular managerial language to kind of dismantle the human impulse and that is a film about battling not just the political system but battling the language that causes people to to lose hope and feel that they can't fight and that was true of Tony Edmund where you have this character who completely sort of crashes his way into this kind of corporate bubble um, and uh, I just felt all those scenes where the daughter is in, you know, the boardroom or the, the office. Or the, um, the, the drinks, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah and the way yeah. that that particular kind of business culture has become a sort of sealed hermetic world, which completely shuts out the human and economic reality of the rest of the world. So in this case, it's been, in this sense, it's been a very political vessel. I think Patterson's part of that as well, because it's about finding the place of let's say human identity or the human soul, whatever, in a way that's to do with language, in a way that actually we can use language to, to kind of live rather than find ourselves, our sense of humanity cauterized. Yeah. And, and I thought one of the things that was amazing about Tony, Tony Erdman, I mean, I don't agree with you at all. I think you look at that film and you will find underneath it an absolutely perfect three-act structure. But within each act, it seems as if they are following impulses yeah. in every way. Yeah, right. So, but when he finally gets that speech, which in any other film would just seem like treacle, and it's so right. earned, and the moments that make life worth living that we don't look at anymore because we're so busy making money. That's an extraordinary moment when yeah. he says that. Yeah. And, and actually, it's such courage to do that. I think I think what that film's about is not just people kind of capitulating and making money, but actually people capitulating and not realizing that they're not making money themselves, but they're working entirely towards other people yes. making money so that they lose out in every sense. Right. And yeah. don't realize it. I'm very curious to hear what you all thought of the Bruno Dumont movie because I was very puzzled by it and I'm yeah. a big fan of his films. Me too. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, I um, I was absolutely uh, bowled over by Petit Cancan. Yeah, me too. Um, and now I've had a problem in the past with him because it, Petit Cancan made me wonder whether I'd misjudged some of his films because I hated humanity. 
at the time. And then I've loved several of his other films since then. Yeah. And the thing about Lumanity, I thought maybe I wasn't getting it. Maybe it was a comedy all along and I just thought it was preposterous. Uh, but there was something genuinely you know, perplexing in a really kind of joyous way about the question are we laughing at these people yeah. or with them and what's going on. In this one it seems like he's taken exactly the same formula right down to the story which is pretty much the same and added this extra level which is you know the kind of ridiculous knobs from, from the city who come in and give yeah. those kind of gestures. But it felt really laborious, it felt really ugly. I mean, the film is it's beautiful to look at. Every shot is magnificent, but there's a kind of grotesqueness that I found absolutely grated and was indigestible. And, you know, how many times can you see a fat man roll down the sand dune? When does it cease to be amusing? Well, when there's really good sound effects, because he did a lot of work on the sound yeah, of this man, squish. every time he moves, he, he squeaks. Right. It helps a little, but I agree that the, the strange thing about it is that, like you, I love Petit Quinquin, and I found it hilarious, and I don't think I laughed once when I watched this movie, which in many ways is a comedy, but what made it puzzling for me is that there's so much in the film that I do like. Like, I think the relationship between the central character, Malut, or the title character, yeah. Malut, and this androgynous being, Billy, is very moving. It's nearly a repeat of the relationship between Quinquin and his little yeah. girlfriend yeah. and Quinquin, but it's, it's very powerful. So all the kind of serious Bruno Dumont tropes are working for me, but with this very strange comedic element that's not yeah. entirely successful. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, that character Billy, played by Raph, Raph, yeah, is the real discovery of the film. I mean, you know, it's a very and it would be great character. to see more of Raph, whoever he or she may be, but I mean, I think Raph, you know, has incredible presence. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, can really act, and can really radiate. But uh, the rest of it, I just thought it was terrible. I agree, Raph can act. Um, <laughs> That's all you'll say. And Raph is very, very beautiful. I thought it was atrocious. I mean, I thought it was... I am not a fan of this film. And the last one, a little bit, I liked. And I thought, well, maybe he's on to something. And this one, I thought it was... The only way I could think of it was he was in a total snit because the way we are all watching TV series. And he was going to show up, I mean, you had the Agatha Christie people, and obviously he directed them to be right out of something like some Agatha Christie series. Some A&E series or something. Yes. <laughs> and I had heard that the previous film didn't get in the festival because they thought it was a TV series, and it wasn't in. And I thought, and he was just furious. So I think he made a film that was exactly like that a parody of TV, except I like bad TV and I don't like this. Yeah, there's just also this self-consciousness to the, the professional actors in the movie that I just oh. I couldn't. I just want them to stop. I know? mean, Binoche doesn't seem to generally have a funny bone in her body. Although I thought she was quite good in that Hsiao Shen film. Oh, she was great. She was really, yeah. Well, the funny thing about Binoche, you probably read the same interview I did, but yeah. she said someplace that when Dumont and she talked first about this project, Slack Bay, he didn't want to consider her for the part because he had a hard time imagining her in a comedy. And then he saw her in something where she was funny and was willing to give it to her. So he, 
Comedy and Binoche is questionable. Yeah. <laughs> I think one film that we haven't gone over, and it's the first day, it was on the first day, it was Sierra Nevada. So, thoughts? I really like Sierra Nevada. I mean, when I saw Sierra Nevada, I thought, oh, well, maybe this will be a really good festival this year. And then it was downhill for a couple of days till we got to uh, the German film. What I liked about it was the formal strategy within which, again, you have this humanist extended family drama. And then you have a visual strategy that looks like Michael Snow's back and forth. It is Michael Snow's back and forth just right. laid on in this corner of this apartment. Yeah. And the choreography is incredible. Yeah. And the camera choreography. Yeah. But that someone came up with a theory that the camera is the absent father. That it's the absent father who's wandering around the flat seeing everyone, you know, which you can buy or not. Well, but I love the idea that there was a making of credited at the end because of yeah. how really? the hell did they fit <laughs> another camera wow. in that department? Right. I mean, it was like we're going to have a fly on the wall, but it's going to be the most obvious fly on the wall possible. <laughs> the <time fly>. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. what I thought yeah. it was. Well, I did an interview with him, and he does actually discuss this theory that you're, you're talking about. Really? Uh, so, well, you can you can read that on the Film Comment website. <laughs> what uh, What did he say? He said, "I'm gonna mutilate it." Also, I'm still kind of trying to piece together because he was he was speaking in English, so I kind of still have to work it out. But he did he did view as as, as kind of the father's soul, basically, the camera as, as, as watching on. He, he described the kind of 40 days after the death where you're supposed to kind of imagine the, the departed looking on, like witnessing you or observing you. And in this case, it's the camera that's doing that. So. Oh, so not more ectoplasm. <laughs> more ectoplasm, yeah, another ghost story, yeah. yeah. There was another film that made me think of, well, I guess Aquarius, for some reason, I was thinking a bit about just a ghost, or being like a kind of about to turn into a ghost somehow yeah. in a world that's want, yeah, wants yeah. to move on or yeah. something. I thought the termites were beautiful, actually. I thought, <laughs> my god, if that's what they do with termites, that, that would be a wonderful piece of installation. <laughs> yeah. Natural, just hire some termites. Yeah. Did we miss anything else? Any other? Well, I like a film that I don't think anyone else has seen, oh, yeah. uh, but I like it very much. Uh, it's in uh, the Fortnite, and it's Tour de France. Oh, right. And, you know, the name you associate with it is Gerard Depardieu, but actually this is a very, very amazing young director, uh, I think. He made a film called Montaigne. Yes. Yeah. And he's also written three novels. And he, Rashid, and I'm going to, Jaidani. And he's a political activist person. And, um... He wrote this script for a larger movie and got a producer and they said, well, maybe we could get Gerard Depardieu and Depardieu read, read the script and said, I love it, I'm doing it. Um, and it's, and then the other guy in it who I'd never heard of, 
is supposedly one of the biggest rappers in France. He's in, again, he's French Arab, and his his name is something like Zad Zadik or Zadek. And I was interviewing the two of them, and I had no idea who this guy was. And so I started to say things like, "Have you made music videos?" Because he said he'd never acted, and he said, "Yeah, um, you know, he's incredibly sweet, and he spoke English." And he said, um, "I have a whole YouTube channel." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's it's very simple. The rapper is is not a famous rapper. He's a starting out rapper, and he gets in trouble with uh, a rival gang in the you know terrible housing project where they all live. And his manager, who is not of Arab descent, but is actually Deepak's son, but he's converted to Islam and he's full out in the culture. And he says, the only place I can think to hide you would be you go to my father. And so he shows up at the door to be the substitute son and Depardieu preached. But Depardieu has a project that he has to get done in the summer. He promised his wife that he would paint his way around France. He's an amateur painter who used to be a construction worker. And he was on some crew that was a very radical crew in the 70s and got in trouble with the police and he's like barred from the union or something. And he's a really bitter man and he's a really racist guy. And so this guy takes along while he paints his way around France, making these 18th century paintings in the style of this other painter. And along the way, it's not that he bonds with him as a person, he begins to understand that the rapper is a really good poet, again, it's poetry, and he, that the break dancers have a real form, and that this is pop culture that belongs to a certain culture, just as the culture he loves. And when he looks and begins to understand what's going on in this, it is amazing. It is, yeah. So I'm hoping that film gets some kind of release, although no one seems interested in taking it on. Maybe it'll get a second wind. Debatio is actually incredibly adventurous, <clears throat> you know, when he sort of bothers to, to turn up and really kind of give something of himself. He can be absolutely extraordinary. I've liked him in the films he's made with Dulipini uh, Kerfel, you know, that he really does something surprising. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we can close with any titles you're looking forward to mm. in the rest well, of the festival. The Dardens, I would guess, will, as ever, I think they will conform to that theory of mine about you know the human factor and yes. you know yeah. fighting the system. I think we can uh, <laughs> expect that. I'm slightly apprehensive about the Neon Demon. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see what he's like. But I think Refn was a brilliant filmmaker at the beginning. I haven't liked the last couple of films. Yeah. Um, he seems to be becoming a kind of wild expressionist or, or a mannerist even. But yeah. I, I certainly want to see it. The Munju film is going to be, yeah. I hope. Interesting. That's the L. Yeah, I that's mean, what I'm excited about. The Verhoeven. Um, I interviewed Isabelle Pell last week, and she was actually really, you know, excited about. It. She was really kind of selling it. She was yeah. saying it's a very elusive film. It doesn't do what you think it's going to do. It's a genre film, but it's also not a genre film. And she says it sort of floats between Chevron and Hitchcock. 
and that there's also a sort of social theory going on. So I'm, I'm sort of basically quoting her, but this is her sort of manifesto for it, but I suspect it's going to be, and of course, you know, it's never boring watching a Verhoeven film, it's, it's been true. too long. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, she also says, of course, Showgirls is a great feminist film. So, okay. this is important. So that's where she's this coming from. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, I'm looking forward to the Manchu and uh, oh, and to the Iggy Pop documentary. Oh yes, Iggy Pop. I am curious to see what Albert Serra has done with Jean-Pierre Leo as Louis the Fourteenth. So I'm not a huge Albert Serra fan by any stretch of the imagination. It's very rare to watch a movie with Jean-Pierre Leo and not get something out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And this yeah. is two hours of Jean-Pierre Leo as Louis XIV, the Sun yeah. King. So. Yeah. yeah. Amy, I didn't mean to steamroll over here before you were saying, but till now, actually, the festival has not been really, I don't know. Well, it's just it, not the festival really. had a film that might end up on my ten greatest films of all time uh -huh. list. Um, <laughs> The German film, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony what? Yeah, Tony Erdmann. Yeah, but yeah. other than that, yeah. it's kind of shifting um, going. Yeah. yeah, I, I. Well, I don't know. I mean, when I spoke to you, I hadn't, I guess, seen the Aseas here, and I hadn't seen the Jarmish here. That's three films, you know? I'm, I'm very That's happy with it. I mean, yeah, I, I think the competition level has been really solid this year. There have been, um, you know, quite a lot of surprises, directors doing things that you don't quite expect them to. You know, the Aseas was different, the, um, you know, Patterson was different. Um, I mean, what there hasn't been really is, is, apart from Tony Edmund, you know, there hasn't been something that kind of made you rethink the possibilities and last year it was Son of Saul but I have to say last year it was only Son of Saul mm -hmm. and that was the only film that people were really arguing about people aren't terribly arguing about anything because everyone agrees that Tony Erdmann is great that's right yeah. it's pretty consensual yeah. so, so we're wishing for something that we can we'll argue about we'll have a backlash yeah. before we go <laughs> of course it will. will be a backlash yeah. yes but for now we're enjoying the bliss because yeah. it's deserved but actually there's a really interesting thing because Tony Erdmann people keep describing it as the German comedy and actually the question is is it a comedy because it's, it made me think about what is a comedy because if you have a, a, a realist film in which people behave comically it's not the same as it being a comedy and the thing about this film is not really a comedy because you have this character who's constantly kind of creating comic situations that doesn't make, make it a comedy and it really made me think differently about what comedy is and actually what we expect a comedy to be because usually a comedy is something that's but very sort of manicured yeah, in Yeah, but sense. there are comic situations when she, he's not on the screen. I mean, mm. that sex scene is one of the funniest yeah. things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's not only that you have a comic character within. I think it's just total scruple. I think they are bringing up baby only as a father and daughter. <laughs> you know, you've got one anal repressive ca character and you've got one hysteric, the father, yeah. and I mean, it's bringing up baby. Yeah. And I have to say, one of the great if special effects of this festival is Sandra Hula's mouth in that film. Oh. Just the way it sort of hangs, that sort of, oh. you know, yeah. that, the way the disappointment mm. hangs off her face. It's wonderful. Yeah. And you know they paraded the uh, the Yeti or whatever right. it is yeah. on the carpet, and people there oh, thought yeah. it was. They paraded it at, before the BFG. BFG, yeah. And there it was. It was and it, yes, and it was much better than the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. BFG. Although I like the BFG, I like the BFG. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can maybe pick that up in the next round. I guess everyone has to run, probably, right? Yeah. Okay, right. Well, thanks, everyone. Great.
You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.